0: Ephesians 4 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to people. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it self-builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord.
1: So we are um, finishing a series this morning on the Holy Spirit a few months ago, or maybe even longer, I asked our interns at the church to uh, come up with a proposal for some sermon series that would give me an opportunity to take a few weeks off, take some study leave and a little vacation. So um, our series on the Holy Spirit comes to you uh, courtesy of our pastoral interns, but they they gave me the topic of spiritual gifts at the end. So that's how we're going to finish the series this morning, is by talking about spiritual gifts. Now, whenever people talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems like this is the topic that seems to come up most of the time. And, and whenever this topic does come up, it seems like in some churches there's almost an obsessive focus on this topic, and, it, and other churches seem to ignore it altogether. But this passage that we just read is actually one of the best places to understand spiritual gifts, because really what this passage does is it shows us what the gifts are for. And in doing that, really what it does is it shows us what it means to be the church. And here's why this is so important. There is a universal human need to... Um... Why, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. What a guy. There, there's a universal human need to, um, to feel like we're connected to something bigger than ourselves when I talk to people out in the community and they tell me, you know, I consider myself spiritual but not religious. I love to ask them, hey, tell me more about what that means to you. Inevitably, people will tell me being spiritual means feeling like I'm connected to something bigger than myself, like I'm connected to something that transcends myself. The interesting thing about that is we live in a secular age. That means that in our culture, there are an increasing number of people for whom God plays no meaningful role in their lives. So there are a number of cultural commentators, sociologists, have all pointed out that this absence of God in our culture has actually led to a profound emptiness and melancholy in our culture. Nonetheless, um, because we need this transcendence, even if people don't look for it in spiritual activities like going to church or praying or meditating. The same sociologists have pointed out that, that we still need this transcendence and that therefore things like museums or rock concerts or sports arenas or other mass events have risen up to fill that need for transcendence in our lives. Human beings need transcendence. But along with that need, there's also another universal human need that's kind of in tension with that. Because in addition to transcendence, every human being also needs to feel like I don't want to put this, like you're special, like you, little old you, with your name, your story, your hopes, your dreams, every human needs to feel like your presence in this world is a unique human individual, like it matters. And that sets up a powerful tension in our lives. The tension is we all want to transcend ourselves without losing ourselves. And I want you to know it is phenomenally difficult to do that. There are a lot of approaches to life that are on offer in this world, but all of them will help you to do either one or the other of those things, but not both. Many approaches to life will help you transcend yourself. For instance, many Eastern spiritualities or religions, they will connect you to something bigger than yourself, but at the cost of losing your sense as a unique individual. You become like a drop of water falling into the ocean. Um, Other approaches to life uh, will focus so much on us as individuals that they really lose any ability to connect us to anything bigger than ourselves, especially anything we might call transcendent. So for instance, in our culture, it really is all about us as individuals. It's all about you following your heart You being true to your authentic self, it's all about us flourishing as individuals. So even when we do get involved in social causes or serving others, a lot of times it's really more about us and how it makes us feel. It's about how it gives me joy, it fulfills me. It's not really about others, it's about moi. We all need to transcend ourselves without losing ourselves. And there are really no good options out there for how to do that except the gospel. And that's where this topic of spiritual gifts comes in, because when we receive and use our spiritual gifts properly, that's exactly what happens. You become a part of something far, far bigger than yourself, and yet you're still you. In fact, you're more you than you could ever be all by yourself. So what does that mean, and how does that happen? This passage shows us, and I, I want to look at it by, by looking at three questions this passage answers. This uh, passage shows us what are spiritual gifts, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts, and how can we use them properly, okay? What are spiritual gifts, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts, and how can we use them properly, all right? First, what are spiritual gifts? Um, One of the interesting things about this passage is um, it's one of several lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. There's this passage in Ephesians, there's one in Romans 12, there's one in um, 1 Corinthians 12, lots of different descriptions of gifts in the Bible. But um, Tim Keller is a great pastor and writer in New York City, and he gives us a really wonderful description or definition of spiritual gifts. He says, spiritual gifts are abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each Christian to meet needs in a way that it builds up a community of people that are growing in the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. Spiritual gifts are abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each Christian to meet needs in such a way that it creates a community of people that are growing up into the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ. Now let me break that down into parts and we'll just walk through that, okay? First, spiritual gifts are abilities to meet needs. I just mentioned there are several gift lists in the Bible, but the interesting thing is none of those lists are complete. They're all partial lists. But here's one way to think about this. In the Old Testament, um, There's a a description of uh, several offices that were operative in the nation of Israel. You had the prophet, the priest, and the king. And those three offices met different needs for the people. So first, you had the prophet. The prophet's job was to speak God's word. The prophet communicated truth. That means that there are some gifts that are what we could call prophetic gifts. Those would be things like evangelism or teaching. Um, the other office, or the next office, was the priest. And the priest's job was to care for people and to bear people's burdens. The priest would would carry the burdens of the people to God, and then he would mediate God's presence back to the people, which means that there are other gifts that um, are really what we would call priestly gifts. Those are things like compassion, or mercy, or prayer, or counseling, or various other things. The last office is the office of the king. Now, the king's job in Israel was to lead God's people, but also to fight their enemies on their behalf. That means that there are other gifts that are what we could call kingly gifts. Those would be things like administration or leadership, but also things like fighting for social justice or fighting against um, inequity in the world. Now I'm guessing, as I lay out those categories, that, that many of you are probably seeing yourself in some of these categories. Some of you are good at communicating truth, uh, whether it's verbally or through writing, or even things like art and various other mediums. Um, others of you are good at caring for people or bearing people's burdens. Others of you are good at you're, you're good at organizing things, or creating systems or mobilizing around social causes. Um, but all of us, wherever we're at, we all have these um, varying gifts, and, and spiritual gifts are abilities to meet human needs. There, there is no human need that you can possibly imagine that there is not a gift that is there to meet that need. So first, spiritual gifts are abilities to meet human needs, but secondly, spiritual gifts are given to each Christian. So at the very beginning of the passage, Paul tells us in verse 7 that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that means that that every single Christian receives a gift, but notice that, that it's according to the measure. That means that no one Christian receives all the gifts. Everybody gets a measure of gifts. Do you know what that means? It means that every single Christian has a job or a ministry in the church, So that it's not just professional ministry people that are doing ministry in the church. It's every single Christian. In fact, I love the way Paul puts this in verses 11 and 12. He gets really specific. He says, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and and teachers. Okay, so those are, you know, the full-time professional ministry people. But what's their job? It says in verse 12, to equip the saints. That's you. But to equip them for what? He says, for the work of ministry. Friends, that means, and let me lean into this moment. You know, it's, it's no secret that we live in a consumeristic culture. So everything in our world is designed and geared to encourage you to think of yourself as a consumer of goods. And it's really easy to to take that mindset into the church with us so that when we come to church, it's easy to come with a paradigm that says, oh, I'm here to receive spiritual services that I can now take home with me and help me to have a better life. So um, in other words, if we were to compare it to uh, use a sports analogy, if ministry were like a football game, that would be like going to the game and seeing yourself as part of the, the crowd up in the stadium. There's the team. They're down on the field playing the game. And, and you're up in the seats enjoying the game. Paul is saying, he's telling us the exact opposite of that. Paul is telling us that if ministry is a football game, you're the team. That means that, that professional ministry people like me or Mary or Tim, we're just the coaching staff. And, and our job really is to equip you, to coach you, to help you to do the ministry. But you're the one who is supposed to be down on the field playing the game because you're the team. That's your job. Every single Christian has a ministry in the church. In fact, if you've been with us for a while, you may have um, heard me say this sometimes at the end of our service. I'll say, You are not here to support my ministry, I'm here to support your ministry. Understanding the theology of spiritual gifts means understanding that, that each one of you is a unique individual whom God has called. To, to fulfill a certain role in the church that in many ways only you can do it exactly like that. Because you have a, a unique story, you have a unique personality, you have a culture, an ethnicity, a gender, a life experience, you have hurts, you even have moral failures in your life, and God wants to use all of that. In fact, just a little bit earlier in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Very simply, that means that God has certain things that he wants done in the world. And he wants them done in certain ways. And, and, and that you are somebody who really, only you can do it like that. That means that there is no other religion or approach to life in the world that puts that kind of worth and value and emphasis on the uniqueness of every human individual. That means that in God's kingdom, there are no expendables. Friends, uh, wherever you're at this morning in life. And we're all in different places, okay? Some of you are students. Some of you are in the home. Some of you are in the workforce. Others of you are out in the community. And and you all have different gifts, whether it's prophetic or priestly or kingly or some mixture of those things. But wherever we're at, God calls every single Christian in the church to a ministry. Every single one of us has a job to do. So for instance, my job as the pastor, I'm not supposed to be doing all the teaching in the church, You know, we have a couple of classes starting up this fall. I'm not teaching them. To do that would be to rob some Christian of their ministry. Or my job as the pastor is not to do all of the shepherding in the church, to do all of the caring for other people. To do that would be to rob some of you of your ministry. Every single Christian, because the Holy Spirit gives gifts to meet needs to every single Christian means we all have a job. We all have a ministry in the church, and that leads to our next point. We've just seen what spiritual gifts are, but secondly, we need to find out what is their purpose? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Paul said the work of ministry. Okay, great, but what does that actually mean? He goes on to flesh that out a little bit more when he says that it's for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature humanity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. And that's a lot of words. But what Paul is basically saying is very simple. First, notice he says that it's about building up the body of Christ. That's the church. The church is not a building. The church is a community of people. And you are the church. You are a part of the church. It's the body of Christ. That's what Paul calls it. And notice when we talk about that it means that first of all, um, spiritual gifts, the purpose of gifts, is not about us as individuals, it's about the body. It uses us as individuals, and it's impossible to accomplish without us as individuals. But it's not about us as individuals, it's about the whole, it's about the body. It's, it's called the body of Christ. And that's actually a great metaphor because when you think about a body, you think about the whole thing, right? I mean, a body is comprised of individual parts, and without those parts, it wouldn't be a whole body. If it was missing a thumb or a toe, then the body would be incomplete. Or if the thumb or the toe was sick or broken or, or not working properly, then the whole body wouldn't be what it's supposed to be. But it's not about the individual parts. It's about the whole thing. It's about the whole body. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. But why? What is the ultimate purpose of the gifts? Paul tells us it's very simple. It's to make us more like Jesus. That's it. So notice how he says this. Um, He says, till we all attain to mature humanity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the true purpose of spiritual gifts. It's to make us more like Jesus. In fact, it's almost humorous the way he puts this. Um, In verse um, 13, he says that he wants us to be mature, And then in verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children. Rather, verse 15, we are to grow up into Christ. Do do we know when we've been insulted? Paul is saying that we're spiritual babies, that we're immature and we need to grow up The purpose of spiritual gifts is to help us to grow up into the character of Jesus, to help us to grow up into the fullness of Christ. In other words, the real test of whether we're using our spiritual gifts properly is not whether we're doing it really, really good. It's not whether we're doing a really, really effective job at utilizing whatever gift it is. The true test of whether we're using spiritual gifts properly is whether it's bearing spiritual fruit in the lives of other people. The real test is, is it helping make people more like Jesus? Are we becoming less anxious, less proud, um, less jealous, less irritable, less self-centered? Are we becoming better listeners, better servants, better friends? Are we becoming kinder, more patient, uh, more self-controlled, more responsible, more diligent, more forgiving, more compassionate? The the real test is whether the gifts are producing the fruit of the character of Jesus in the lives of other people. The real point of the gifts is to bear fruit in the lives of of other people, and we should never confuse those two things. In fact, I've been really impacted by a great book by a wonderful theologian named J.I. Packard. He wrote a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit, and it's one of the best, maybe the, the best book for me personally that I've ever read on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a very practical book. J.I. Packer says that one of the worst mistakes that we can ever make is to confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. Fruit is character. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is character. It's maturity, spiritual maturity. It's, it's Christ-likeness. It's growing up into the character Of Jesus Christ. And it's a mistake to confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. In fact, um, I would go so far as to say that spiritually speaking, this is a life or death issue. And here's why we live in a culture that says your ultimate worth and value as a human being is completely tied up with your performance. That means that it would be easy to get out there in the world with your spiritual gifts. And, and if you're exercising them well, if, um, if you're experiencing some measure of success, if people's lives are being changed, if people are being touched, it'd be really easy to think, wow, God must be pleased with me. Now I can feel good about myself. Now I can know that I'm okay. What's happened? You've confused the gifts for fruit. It's one of the most dangerous things we could ever do because it's possible to have all kinds of spiritual gifts and yet still be empty. Uh, Do you recognize the name Judas Iscariot? Judas was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. Judas Iscariot had spiritual gifts. He was out there with the other 11 disciples doing ministry. He was healing people. He was casting out demons, and yet he was far from God. He was lost. He betrayed Jesus. It is possible, friends, to have all kinds of spiritual gifts and yet still be deeply empty, and using those gifts as a way of trying to fill up that emptiness. My wife Jenny and I have been watching uh, a Netflix show recently called The Crown. It's all about um, Queen Elizabeth and, um, and the royal family. And uh, one of the main storylines in that show is all about Queen Elizabeth's sister, the Princess Margaret. Um, it, Margaret fell in love with a man and they wanted to get married, but because he was divorced, the church wouldn't let them get married. Now, I don't know what Margaret was like in real life, but in the show, Margaret keeps slipping deeper and deeper uh, into this profound emptiness. There's this inconsolable sadness about her life. Um, but then her birthday comes up, and it's time to take her annual birthday photograph. So they dress Margaret up like a princess, and they put this fairy tale background behind her. She looks so put together. She looks so elegant, so soigné. But Margaret complains. She says, hey, why can't we make this photograph a little bit more realistic this year? To which the photographer amazingly says, oh, no, we want to help people escape reality. Imagine this, if you will. He says, a young woman, a commonplace creature. She sits in her drab little kitchen. So much work to do, so much washing up. How she longs for comfort, for hope. She wants to believe that her life has some meaning beyond chores. She opens a a magazine and she sees a picture of your royal highness. And for one glorious transforming moment, she becomes a princess too. She is lifted out of her miserable, pitiful reality into a fantasy. And all thanks to you, your royal highness, and to the ideal which you represent. You know, Margaret's, the fantasy is supposed to be her reality, and yet the whole time the photographer is speaking, there's this close-up on Margaret's face, and you can just see that she's just as desperate and lost and empty as the kitchen maid, her picture is supposed to cheer up. Margaret has all the gifts. She has riches. She has royalty. She has fame and glamour and adulation. She has all the gifts, but she's still deeply empty, and none of those gifts will fill the emptiness. Friends, one of the most spiritually dangerous things we could ever do is try to use our spiritual gifts to fill our own emptiness, to get out there into the world, and, and get really busy doing lots of things, working really hard. And the whole time, what we're, what we're really doing is we're trying to compensate for that deep insecurity in our lives. We're trying to fill ourselves. And it will never work because we've mistaken gifts for fruit. And that leads to our last point. We've talked about what are spiritual gifts. And we've seen what the purpose of the gifts really is. But lastly, how can we use spiritual gifts properly properly? Because we've just seen it. It's possible to get out in the world and and think that I'm going to use my gifts to fill my own emptiness. If we try to do that, what happens is not only does it not work, we get emptier and emptier. You'll end up hurting yourself. You'll probably end up hurting other people. So the question is, how can we use our spiritual gifts properly? There's only one way. Instead of beginning from a place of emptiness, we have to begin from an experience of fullness. Where do you get that? As often happens in the Bible, it's the most confusing part of the passage that actually holds the key for us. Paul begins this passage, verse 7, by saying, hey, Jesus gives spiritual gifts to everybody. But then in verse 8, he's going to support his argument. and He says, therefore. But what he does is he quotes Psalm 68, and this is what he says. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to people. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, you and I read that and we're like, huh? But here's what Paul is saying. It's actually pretty simple. In the ancient world, if an enemy army attacked a city then the king would ride out into the battle to, to, to do a battle with the enemy. And when he delivered his people, when he won the victory, when he delivered his people from oppression and captivity, he would ride back into the city, he would ascend to his throne, and then he would take all the spoils of war that he had won in the victory, and he would distribute gifts to his people. Paul is saying that what this psalm is saying is it's, it's pointing to that and is saying this There was an incident in the history of Israel when that's exactly what King David did. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6. David went out into the battle for his city. He delivered his people from captivity and oppression. And then when he came back into the city, he brought the ark of God with him. Now, the ark represented the glorious transcendent presence of God. So that when David came back into the city, put the ark in the temple, and sat down on his throne, all the people in the city would have sung for joy and said, our king has won the victory for us. Therefore, God is with us. The presence of God is with us. Paul looks at that incident, and what does he say about it? You know, Paul teaches us how to read our Bible because Paul looks at that incident, and he says, you know, that was amazing, but as amazing as that incident in the history of Israel was, Really, all it does is it's pointing us forward to a greater victory and, a, and greater gifts. And it's all because it points forward to a greater king. Because it's a greater victory because the ultimate enemies are evil and sin and death. And it, they're greater gifts, this is talking about. Because it's not just victory from the spoils of war it's, it's the abilities to bring spiritual healing and transformation into countless lives. That's the victory God is aiming at and those are the gifts God wants to bestow. But how does it happen? Paul tells us, Jesus descended. Jesus Christ is the greater king. He is the ultimate king. Jesus Christ is the glory. He is the transcendent. He is, Jesus is the, that something bigger that we all want to be a part of. Paul says that Jesus fills all things. I'll be honest, I have no idea what that really means. But when I read that, boy, I sure want to be a part of it. Jesus Christ is the fullness. And yet he came to earth, he descended, and he went to the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He poured out his life. He poured out his love. He poured out all of the fullness of his being and made himself the ultimate gift in order to give his life for you. On the cross, the fullness became empty. He became forsaken. Jesus Christ went to battle for you on the cross. And on the cross, he endured the judgment of God on all of our self-salvation projects, all of our self-fulfillment projects. He won the pardon for us so that now we can say in a way that ancient Israel could only hint at, we can say our king has won the victory for us and now the presence of God is with us. Do you realize what that does for you? Friends, the gospel delivers you from the tyranny of having to be your own fullness. Every other religion and every other approach to life says that you have to get out in the world, you have to work really hard, you have to live a good life, you have to do amazing things, and maybe, just maybe if you do it well enough, then you will find fullness. Maybe then God will love you. Maybe then people will respect you. Maybe then you'll find the meaning and the purpose that you're looking for. You have to begin from a place of emptiness, and then everything you do in your life is all designed in order to fill that deep hole in your life. But the gospel begins with fullness. The gospel begins by giving you the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his life, the fullness of his grace. Because on the cross, Jesus took our emptiness in order to give us his fullness. What a gift. And when you have that gift in your life, that means now you can move out into the world. And instead of beginning from a place of emptiness, you can begin from a place of fullness. Now you can begin to use your spiritual gifts in the world, not to fill up your own sense of emptiness, but to actually bear spiritual fruit in the lives of others. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then then my encouragement to you would be receive this gift It has to begin there. You have to begin by receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the fullness that you're looking for. Will you let him fill you? And if you are here this morning and you're a Christian, then my question is this, are you in the game? Do you want to get in the game? It's actually pretty simple if you ask, well, how do I do that? It's pretty simple. Get out there and start trying lots of different things and then see which one of those things God blesses to bring fruit into the lives of other people. But for all of us, consider the fullness that Jesus poured out for us on the cross. Consider the fullness that Jesus Christ gives to us by means of his gospel. Jesus took our emptiness in order to give us his fullness. And when you see him doing that for you, when you see him taking your emptiness, all of a sudden that begins to fill you. And when you get filled, all of a sudden you begin to get free. And when you begin to get free, all of a sudden you begin to bear fruit in the lives of other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ultimate gift of Jesus. Father, He is the fullness, He is the, the, the measure of the stature and the ultimate endpoint. Of, of everything that we would ever aspire to and ever imagine, Father. We pray that you would help us this morning, wherever we're at, spiritually speaking. Lord, if, if, if our eyes are, are looking for fullness, if our hearts are yearning for something to fill the emptiness, help us to see that Jesus is the fullness that, that heals all our emptiness. And, and if we have received that fullness, Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to, um, to get deeper into the game and to exercise our gifts, not in order to fill our emptiness, but because we've already received received fullness. Help us to bear fruit in the lives of others. I pray that you would fill this church with your Holy Spirit and that you would help us to take the lessons we've learned over these last few weeks and, 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 and that you would um, use them in and through the lives of this church for the benefit and the good and the, and the spiritual fruitfulness of the whole city around us. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.